Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. This is Mark Hamilton and Mark Daly joining you from a sweltering, sweltering Pacific Northwest. We are under, I think what they're calling a heat dome or a heat bubble, whatever they're calling it, it's 110 degrees Fahrenheit. It's 42, 43 degrees centigrade here in Vancouver. We're in, we're a little bit inland. We're in a Vancouver suburb called Coquitlam. So we're about half an hour from the water, from the ocean. So it's a little bit cooler there, but the last couple of days have been sweltering. And obviously I just kind of had to kind of get that off my chest. I'm not complaining. (laughs) We live in Vancouver. It's dark and dreary and wet nine months of the year. So when this happens, I'm going to embrace it. But the closest experience I've ever had to heat like this is Dubai. It's the Middle East. Man, how are you holding in? You're you're 15 minutes away from me up the mountain. I'm sure it's just as hot. What are you guys stay, doing to stay cool this weekend? Just basically not moving at all. You know, I went out yesterday morning for about a 40-mile bike ride with my brother. And we left the parking lot where we were going to ride yesterday. We left at like 6 a.m. in the morning. We were back about 8.30, 8.45, something like that. And it was it was decent. I mean, it was still under 30 degrees uh, Celsius, but by the afternoon, by the time the sun came around, it was like, holy smokes, it just absolutely just kicked it up like, you know, order of magnitude of like three or four or something. And it's been hot in the house ever since. So I, I'm hiding out in my basement and we have, uh, unfortunately, unlike yourselves, we don't have air conditioning in the house, but we have a portable air conditioner, which is making uh, parts of the house pleasant enough. So we'll just have to hang in here for a couple of days and and hope the extreme heat just disappears and we kind of get back to more pleasant temperatures because before this it had actually been pretty nice the last week or two i have to admit i was yeah. really enjoying the the end of the spring the beginning the first couple of days of summer and then yesterday happened and i'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah, totally. and we're we're and i was talking to you about this before the show kicked off but we're very much trying to make up for the summer that we missed last year yeah. partly because of weather and partly because of some other global phenomenon which i think we're all hoping to put behind us but our listeners aren't joining us to listen to us talk about weather <laughs> the world that they don't care less about they're here to listen to us talk about formula one and we just finished watching it i actually got up and watched it live today because it was already 25 degrees at 6 a.m pacific time here in vancouver so i got up and watched it live i thought the race was good i i i'm certainly not buying into all the negativity about this race that you're seeing online i just i think it's been a unique season where we've had some really compelling some really competitive races we haven't really seen a race where the outcome was determined so early but ultimately this was good it's Red Bull's home track. Mm-hmm. They've tended to dominate. Obviously, we know Max Verstappen won here in 2018. He won here in 2019. He put in an exceptional qualifying run, and he absolutely led from the start. And I think if you're a Formula One analyst, if you're a fan of Red Bull, even if you're not a fan of Red Bull or Max Verstappen, I don't think you can argue that he and that team didn't do everything right this weekend. And honestly, if the race had gone another 500 meters, another kilometer, they probably would have had two cars on that podium. And maybe that's the only thing you can look at ultimately is that one pit stop that was 4.6 seconds that probably cost them that second podium. But other than that, an excellent race for Red Bull, an excellent race, an excellent win for Max Verstappen. And they continue to build on that championship lead. But unlike a lot of our listeners, and I think a lot of the folks on Twitter that are now arguing that the championship is done. We're only 37% of the way through the campaign. We have more than 10 races left. A lot can happen. We haven't seen any reliability issues from Red Bull. That's not going to hold. 
Do not buy into the narrative that the championship is decided because I promise you it's not. And I'm not saying that because I don't want everyone to tune out come August, but the championship is far from over. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you hit on a, a number of really good uh, points there. And I think that we have to put things in a little bit of context because if you backtrack a week to France, I mean, that was an exciting, exciting race. Uh, you had Red Bull out basically outthink Mercedes on the whole pit stop thing. They didn't react uh, fast enough to bring Lewis in. Then you had Max hunting them down, basically passes him with, what, a lap and a half to go. Today, you see that uh, that Mercedes had uh, learned from some of the mistakes from last week and being a lot more proactive, especially with Valtteri Bottas. They saw that uh, Perez had the bad pit stop, 4.8 seconds, whatever it was, bring the Bottas in immediately the next lap, and that ultimately got them the double podium finish. Sure, it wasn't uh, first and second, it was second and third, but that could be a very crucial result come the end of the season, come the constructors. And I, I think that after being so critical of them last week and really putting them on blast for the way that they really hung Valtteri out to dry, I, I felt, and I, I know that you did too, the way that they just did not really take his advice to heart about trying to uh, do a second uh, pit stop and then basically uh, being caught out. So it worked out uh, for him. And like you say, another half kilometer, another half a lap, whatever it would have been. And that uh, that, that position would have been Perez's uh, for sure. But really exciting. And there were some other things that happened during the race as well. I think that you have to give uh, Charles Leclerc a big uh, credit for, for coming back after hitting, what, four cars, five cars on the opening? <laughs> <laughs> the, the opening third of a lap, it was kind of like a demolition derby or bumper cars. Anyways, he had to go in for... A, a new front wing, and he came out, and, and Charles finishing seventh in the end, uh, one place uh, behind his uh, teammate Carlos Sainz, who I think they, they were interesting Ferrari because I think they certainly got stronger as the race uh, went on, and then a good result uh, for for Lance Stroll in the top ten and eighth, uh, Fernando Alonso in the points. Well, heck, you know I should just run down yeah, the, take the us race. Through the classification. Let's go through the classification, the top ten, anyways. So we had uh, Max Verstappen winning, Lewis Hamilton, and Valtteri Bottas for Mercedes second and third, Sergio Perez in fourth, Lando Norris fifth, Carlos Sainz and uh, Charles Leclerc sixth and seventh for Ferrari, Lance Stroll in the Aston Martin eighth, Fernando ninth, and Yuki Sonoda, a good race uh, for him to get into the top ten. And then uh, just outside of the top ten, we had Kimi Raikkonen, Sebastian Vettel, Danny Ricardo after a very good race last week, very disappointing in 13th, Esteban Ocon, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, Mick Schumacher, Nicholas Latifi, and then Nikita Mazepin, the last of the class classified cars, George Russell and Pierre Gasly, the only cars that, that did not uh, finish uh, this race. So let's uh, quickly just uh, look at the, 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 the driver's standings. In uh, first, still Max, 156 points, 22 points ahead of Lewis Hamilton now. Almost has that insurance of having a, a race victory in his back pocket. But like you say, we're only... 37% of the way through the season. Still a lot of racing to be done. Third now in the championship is Sergio Perez on the... Well, I mean, he's had several good races now, and it's good to see him moving up uh, through the uh, Drivers' Championship. He's on 96 points. Lando is fourth with 86, and then uh, rounding out the top five is uh, Valtteri Bottas with 74. Now, in the Constructors' Championship, this is where it looks very weird uh, based on the last... Uh, Basically, decade. Uh, Red Bull, 252 points, 40 points ahead of Mercedes, who have 212. McLaren, third, 120. Just 12 points ahead of their rivals, uh, Ferrari on 108. And then Alpha Tauri rounding out the top five. So, 
a lot of interesting things going on there. And I totally agree with what you're saying is that the title race is not over. There's a lot of racing to be done. Uh, of course, we're basically in uncharted territories, uh, seeing the fact that Mercedes has now not won a race in what, four races, <laughs> which is un unprecedented, which is the only word that you can use. And I know that is a completely overused word, hackneyed word from the past year or so. But it is true. They, we have not seen Mercedes in this kind of a slump of if you want to call it that. I mean, they're still scoring podiums. They're still scoring points. They're not out of touch in either championship by any means, but it is very strange not to see a Mercedes driver on the top step of the podium for this amount of time. And Total Wolf has basically said the same thing, is that uh, despite the fact that they are not going to develop this car anymore they're focusing uh, all their uh, resources on 2022 this is a team that is just accustomed uh, to, to winning and uh, they've done so for the better part of a decade and there, there's too much racing and considering that it's a mercedes is that i would expect at some point that that they're going to turn it around there's more races to be won for them it's just a question of not if but when in my opinion yeah, I completely, I completely agree. And I think one of the things that's really important to understand is despite the spread that we're seeing in the driver's uh, standings right now, despite the spread that we're seeing in the World Constructors Championship standings right now, if you flash back and you walk through the calendar so far this year, Bahrain, you could make the argument that Max probably should have won that. Imola, you could make the argument that Lewis, you know, he probably could have won that. Portimao was a little bit back and forth. Spain was close. Monaco, you know, Max won that race and he won from, from the starting grid, but ultimately he was only there because of Leclerc's red flag and the mm -hmm. fact that they couldn't get the car onto the grid. So that was kind of wacky. Baku, ultimately Max should have won and then Hamilton should have won except for an unforced error. Ultimately in France, it came down to the wire. Mercedes could have won if the race was two laps shorter or if they'd gone with a two kind of a two-stop strategy. Today, to me, is really the only race so far this season where we've seen that dominant performance from start to finish. And I think if you look purely at the championship standings right now, they're a little bit deceiving. It could very much be in either direction. Now, that said, I'm not disputing the fact that Red Bull clearly has some exceptional pace and that that power mm -hmm. unit is providing that team with more top line power than certainly Mercedes is creating at this point with their power units. But I just, I want to make that point that the championship is closer than we ultimately think it is. And the other thing I want to comment on as well is that if you look at the finishes for Max and for Sergio this year, they've had no reliability issues. There's been no, except for that one Pirelli issue in Baku, which we've talked about to death. Mm -hmm. They've had a really great string of reliability. They haven't been collected by another car. They haven't been taken into a wall. They haven't had suspension damage because of contact in a corner. They've had a really good, un, un kind of disrupted run of performance so far. That's not going to run the entire course of the season. They're going to have a DNF. They're going to have some suspension issues. They're going to have some performance issues. They're going to have a gearbox failure. Something is going to happen. So I think for Mercedes, why today was so important was, one, they managed to keep both cars on the on the podium. And I think we'll probably get to this, but Toto speaks to the fact that that was damage mitigation. But ultimately, yeah. they also grabbed that fastest lap point, which is ultimately something that's very, very important. So I just want to be clear that for those that are listening and are maybe new to the series, 
Don't get dissuaded by maybe what you're reading on Reddit or Twitter. The championship is closer than we think it is. Yeah, you know, great point, because if you go back to 2016, when the battle went uh, between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, the two Mercedes drivers, after the first uh, four races of the season, Lewis did not get off to a great start that year. He, he didn't have a great weekend in China, and he struggled a little bit to, through those first uh, four races, and Nico won those first four races. And I remember after that fourth race, it might have been China, I, I can't remember exactly, but I, think, I think it was after that race in Shanghai, I seem to remember that uh, one of the journals asked Nico, uh, Nico or made the comment that at this point or in the history of Formula One, no driver or every driver that's won the first four races of the season has gone on to win the championship. And I remember Nico at the time kind of laughing it off, saying, well, yeah, you know, that that might be true, but we're only four races into a 20 race season or whatever it was in, in 2016. And it's true. I mean, if you go and look at the entire course of the year, by the time it did come out down to it, it went down to the wire. It came down to that final race at Abu Dhabi at the end of the year between Lewis, between uh, Nico Rosberg. And at that uh, th- those last four or five races, if you remember, Nico was just uh, basically playing the insurance game and just uh, trying not to get, uh, you know, he was just not trying to get into any situation that would put himself in danger. He was uh, not making any risky overtaking maneuvers. He was uh, trying to keep the car within the performance limits and not trying to overstress it or anything like that. And and just letting Lewis, if, if Lewis was going to go on and win that race, he, for him, it was very much the damage mitigation. Playing the long game is like Lewis can win all these games or, or sorry, win all these games, win all these races. But if I come second and I, I keep my nose clean, then, then that, that's all I need to do to win the championship. I mean, it was it was a gutsy call. And uh, maybe for, for some people that want to see sort of end to end start to finish uh, racing might have had a bit of an issue with that but the whole point is despite that fast start and the 43 point gap in the drivers championship which is basically double what max has over lewis right now lewis was still able to close that gap slowly but surely and was there right at the very end of the year so very much like you said mark i totally agree 100 uh, w- with your comments that yeah Okay, Max does have a healthy lead. Red Bull has a healthy lead in both of those championships, but there's a lot of races to go and anything could happen because like you say, I mean, the, the odds are that in a in a series where things can and do go wrong, at some point it's going to catch up to them. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to think we're just going to take a quick break here, Mark. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit now, uh, just a little bit more about what we talked about on the top of the show is just about uh, how Mercedes did listen to Valtteri Bottas. They did heed his advice. And this time they were on point. They, they, they called it properly and they got him in for that, for that uh, pit stop, which we, like we said, could uh, really make a difference at the end of the season. All right. Well, time for a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. So please don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. And yes, we are talking about the the Styrian Grand Prix. We are talking about um we are talking about all sorts of things. I just realized we've got a bit of an issue in the live chat. Yes, uh, I seem to have turned on the 360 camera setting. I'm not sure how to turn that off. <laughs> I guess I'll just have to upload the other uh, video later. So sorry about those uh, guys. Uh, yeah, no, that's just uh, me trying to get used to the new uh, software and not knowing how to turn it off mid- midstream. So anyways, um, as we were talking about just uh, before the break here, Mark, uh, Valtteri Bottas, last week in France, very vocal, very frustrated. And this was brought up a couple of times uh, during the week. Uh, Bottas uh, said that he didn't feel that the outburst that he had full of uh, profanities uh, went too far. Toto actually said that uh, it was good to see his driver react in such a way and he wasn't upset by it uh, by any means or anything like that. And I I think that this was uh, this was good for, for them to finally, I think, show a little bit of a support to, to, to Valtteri. I felt that they threw him under the bus a little bit in that whole Monaco thing and that strip wheel nut saying he didn't get on his uh, on the markings or didn't get into his pit box uh, correctly. I thought that it was uh, they I, I felt that they left him hanging there in France last week, uh, despite the fact that uh, he was saying that uh, they needed to go to that second pit stop and they didn't. So I'm glad for, from his point of view that uh, that today that uh, they, they did react very quickly because that was a very un-Red Bull pit stop, that uh, that left rear tire. And uh, what we saw with Max's uh, pit stop, I think they nailed it. It was about two seconds or maybe just a, a touch over. Lewis had a good stop for for, for his stop. And then when, uh, when uh, Sergio Perez went in, it just didn't go all that uh, all that well. I mean, it uh, that uh, that left rear didn't come off, and ultimately, like like you said, right off the top, Mark, that could be that one that that one thing that comes back to haunt them uh, later in the season. But at, at least uh, for 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 today, disappointing if you're Red Bull and Sergio Perez, and then if you're Red or sorry, uh, Mercedes and Valtteri Bottas, hey, you'll take it because you weren't uh, maybe expecting that, and you saw an opportunity, you jumped on it, and it paid off at the uh, the the end of the day. Yeah, the other thing I thought was really interesting this weekend was, and I, I know a lot of our listeners on Twitter had commented on this and we shared some footage, but there was an incident in free practice too where Bottas had spun in the pit lane, which is obviously incredibly dangerous because the pit lane is one of the most vulnerable places at a track in terms of personal safety and personal injury because there's so many mechanics um, and crew members running around. And there was an incident in free practice too where in, in something of a test, Bottas had left the box in second gear, which is unusual because drivers typically typically leave in first gear. He left in second gear, uh, probably overcompensated from a throttle perspective because if you're going to start in a higher gear, typically you have to apply a little bit more throttle. Uh, looks like he applied a little bit too much, ultimately span and ended up kind of sideways in the McLaren box. Obviously, the McLaren team were incredibly critical. Bottas ultimately got a three-grid place penalty for the race, and he got two points on his penalty license. But the one thing that I was very cognizant of over the course of the next 48 hours was how is Mercedes going to respond to this, and is this going to be another opportunity for Toto and team to rip into Bottas a little bit? And to me, it felt like they were a little bit more reserved in terms of their criticism of uh 
of Bottas in that moment, which I thought was nice because ultimately that was a dangerous maneuver. It was purely driver error and they probably had every right to criticism. And I don't doubt that there was some conversation in the garage after that practice session about, hey, what had happened, what had gone wrong, et cetera, et cetera. The other challenge too, of course, and just to be clear, because a couple of our listeners had indicated this as well, it wasn't necessarily just the fact that he had started in second and spun, and obviously it was a dangerous maneuver, but he had also, and you can see this in the footage, putting the car into reverse, which is also prohibited in the sporting regulations, that the car cannot reverse uh, via its own internal mechanism, its own internal gearbox and power. The car has to be pushed backwards. But uh, I thought that was interesting as well that the team resisted potentially the urge that they may have had to criticize him publicly. And I think for his benefit and his psychology, that was probably a, a good move. It probably put him in a better state of mind come the race. Yeah, you know, could you imagine if they did react to that or they they weren't on top of it like they were today and he lost out on that podium after Sergio had that bad stop? He must have uh, he he would have been in a position that, yeah, what do I have to do to get some support in this team? What what do I need to do to get these guys to show me a little bit of love? So, I I'm glad that it worked out because I was starting to feel after last week I was feeling really frustrated for him and, you know, if you see some of the news that's out there this week about uh, Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton talking about uh, potentially having uh, new deals uh, being negotiated and, and it looks like uh, something's going to happen with uh, both of those uh, respective drivers that they're the, the teams that they're with now and Red Bull and uh, Mercedes the the only name that isn't being mentioned right now is is Valtteri Bottas uh, despite the fact that he's been saying quite a bit uh, recently that he wants uh, his uh, his status uh, sorted out uh, for, by by the summer break which when you look at it, I mean, it's coming pretty quick. I mean, we've got several weeks of uh, intense racing coming up, but, uh, you know, that summer break is going to come and whether or not that's, uh, you know, something that, you know, they, that we want to see happen before then, I, I don't know if it, it'll happen then or not. Like we talked about in the regular show just a couple of days ago, that uh, it certainly is uh, becoming uh, quite a, a bit of a distraction. In, well, maybe not to, to the, the, the team themselves, because only what they know what's uh, what's happening when it when it comes to the kind of the contract uh, negotiations but when it comes to uh, at least from the public point of view it seems to be uh, dragging on uh, a little bit uh anyways i wanted to talk now about uh, sergio perez and just that uh, that podium place that uh, he just uh, missed out on uh sergio says uh that, that the same thing basically as uh, you know <laughs> what what would you said too is he just needed a little bit more and it just uh, wasn't quite enough and uh, christian horner told sky sports uh, quote he drove the wheels off the car today it was a shame the pit stop didn't go better for him because he would have maintained the track position pretty easily but then his fight back was impressive it was just a second or two uh, on that left rear and the guys fair play to them because they composed themselves and I had it a 1.85 second stop on the next stop for Max to rebound under that pressure was fantastic uh, I think uh, uh, what did he go on to say I think very little details now just putting everything together will be enough that's the positive bit and we'll just be putting thing everything together at the right time and uh, pardon me just mixed up my quotes here that uh, that last uh, quote was actually Sergio Perez just talking about his uh, contract uh, status and uh, what it looks like uh, for, for, for the future but amazing uh, Christian Horner reckons that that, uh, that that pit stop could have been a 1.85 second pit stop and that is in the aftermath of what we were talking about just a couple of days ago Mark and uh, the, all these new um, 
regulations or the measures. The new FIA technical director Precisely. to slow down the pit stops yeah. in the spirit of safety. <laughs> exactly. When you think about it, I mean, 1.85 uh, seconds, that would have to be a world record. I mean, what is it currently? Uh, 1.82. 182. Okay. I thought it was 192, but I think that was probably a, a, a previous one. But amazing that uh, that, that they could have uh, still managed to do a pit stop that quickly. But uh, cool to see. And uh, again, it's, it, it is amazing. We're sitting here all just shaking our heads, uh, saying, oh, they, they really screwed him up with a 4.8 second stop. Like it's the end of the world. I mean, it is just, it, it's a crazy reminder of just how quick and and how amazingly fast the world of Formula One is. It's, it's, it's mind boggling at times. And I think it also reinforces a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, right? Which is it really doesn't take a lot to swing a championship one way or the other. It could be a tire failure. It could be a gearbox failure. It could be incremental weather. It could be a rainy race. It could be a dusty race. There's so many different variables. And like I said, you look at the championship standing and to your point, the constructors is split by 40 points at this point, which seems insurmountable. But it's when you reverse engineer the calendar so Mm -hmm. far and you really look that really with the exception maybe of Monaco and this race the races were never predetermined it was never clear a quarter of the way 50% of the way 75% of the way through that race who was going to win ultimately and you know if you look back at Baku if if Hamilton hadn't made that I love that term that you always use that unforced error in terms of the the brake issue on that restart Obviously, he could be much, much closer. He could potentially be leading the driver's championship. We could have a constructors, which is only divided by 25 points or 20 points. So little things can swing the championship in either direction. And like I said, we're eight races into what was originally forecast to be a 23-race calendar. We'll probably still see 22 races. We're 37% of the way through. There's a lot that can change. And ultimately, we know that the pit stop situation is going to create some instability from Hungary onwards. Obviously, the mechanics are going to have to become conditioned. They're going to have to learn to adapt differently and function differently. They're going to have to retrain their muscle memory to adapt to a new way of functioning in the pit, especially when it comes to tire changes. I just, I want to stress that the championship isn't over. Mm -hmm. Little things like this can make a big difference. And ultimately today, it was the difference between third and fourth and a couple of constructors points. But ultimately in the grand scheme of things, when you start to extrapolate these things, they can pile up very, very quickly. And I think as Total said, it was absolutely uh, risk mitigation today for Mercedes. And I think given the fact that Max had so much, so much pace that he's so familiar with this track and he said so well here, I think for Mercedes to ultimately secure a second and a third place, I think to bring Lewis in on the second to last lap, give him those fresh tires, let him chase the fastest lap point. I think Mercedes was very, very strategic, and I think they did everything that they could have done in this race as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, just a couple of things there. I think it's kind of uh, funny, you know, like just days after this new technical directive that, you know, to, in, in the uh, in the the name of safety that they could have potentially come close to equaling the world record. So it will be interesting once that that does get implemented in Hungary in a couple of weeks, how much that is going to change, how much is going to slow things down. And then further to the point you were just making about uh, how well Max has run on this track uh, over the years. I mean, he's won it three out of the last uh, five years now, I guess it is now going back to, to like, well, four years uh, going back to, to, to 2018. So it's going to be interesting next week. We're staying here. It's, it's going to be the exact same thing 
thing that we saw this week, and it's just going to be the Austrian Grand Prix rather than the Styrian Grand Prix. And we saw this uh, last year as well. And you know what? What really I think would have made this uh, race interesting is because Max was flying. I mean, he left everybody that wasn't driving a Mercedes or a Red Bull, and he was over half a minute in front of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, which is 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 mind-blowing uh, if we're, we're talking a little bit earlier just it's it's mind-blowing in the fact that max has won four races in a, or sorry red bull's won four races in a row now and lewis has uh you know he has or lewis and mercedes haven't been winning these races but the fact that he's more than half a minute behind max verstappen is just something i'm, I'm kind of struggling to reconcile and get my my, my mind around that is huge Keep in mind, and I'll caution you because I think the risk of looking at the race classification and seeing that that gap is it looks extreme, but don't forget that stop. a big chunk of that. Yeah, yeah. Is that pit stop. At the, but that said, it's still 12, 15 seconds, which is huge, right? You, you yeah. think about a car passing the finish line, count to 15, and that was the gap between the two cars at the moment that Hamilton went into the pit. So Irregardless, that is an absolutely astronomical number. And I think the other point too, and we didn't hit on this earlier, is it's now been four races in which Mercedes hasn't won one of them. We've now had a run of four consecutive races without a Mercedes car on the top of that podium or a Mercedes driver on the top of that podium. That's the first time that that's happened now since 2013. So wow. we're talking yeah. eight years since we've seen that, which is which is crazy. But again, to my earlier point, obviously in France, it could just as easily have been Ben Lewis up there, sure. except the strategy did, went against them. So again, it looks like a run of domination and maybe it continues and I'm eating my words by the time we get out of out of the UK, out of, out of Hungary. But I just want to urge our listeners not to check out on the season because if you do, I'm sure something exciting will happen and you'll regret not having been a part of it. Yeah, you know, uh, just to, to, to add on to what you're saying there is, yeah, okay, add that 15, 20 seconds onto that gap uh, between Lewis and Max because of that late pit stop and in, in order to get that uh, single point for the fastest lap. But uh, when you look at Max and Lewis, okay, Lewis is sort of at arm's length uh, to, to Max. He just couldn't match him on pace uh, throughout the entire weekend and uh, especially on Sunday afternoon. But what really was uh, surprising was the difference between the first Mercedes and the second Mercedes and the first Red Bull and the second Red Bull and just how far back they were as well. But of course, you know, there were, like you say, I mean, there, there were pit stops going on and things like that. And guys uh, trying to get that that single point for the fastest lap and the, the risk of, or risk-free pit stop basically going in because they were they were just that much far or further up the road compared to where Lando Norris was or the next car behind them and it's just like well yeah let's go and try and get that single point for faster lap because we go in unless something catastrophic happens and the, the car stalls we can't get it going or we have a disastrous situation like we saw with the uh, Bottas and Monaco we can't get the wheel off or on or whatever the, the, the case may be it, it, it's it's why not so I, I guess when you when you look at that it is, like you say, it's fairly easy to sort of fall in that trap that, oh, well, I guess this wasn't a very close race. It, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't like Lewis was pushing Max or vice versa. And I think, again, like I was saying off the top of the the, the, the show here is that you have to take it in context to, to last week because last week really was a very exciting finale and it was a very exciting finish to see Max pass Lewis like he did and if uh, his tires had just gone off a little earlier or if he he pitted uh, two laps earlier whatever it might have been just those those very very small margins of uh, things that could have uh, gone wrong or been timed differently like you say it could have been very easily it could have been Lewis up on the top of that uh, the top step of that podium 
let me ask you a question. I sure. don't mean to put you on the stop, but uh, sure you do, but our, that's okay. One of our listeners that actually reached out, and he's like, I would really love to hear from you guys every week on who your who you think the driver of the day was. Who do you think the team of the day was? So having reflected back on this race and its totality and gone through the race classification and talked about some of the more exciting components, who would you award driver of the day today? I would give driver of the day to Max just because he was flawless. I mean, he really did not put a wheel wrong the entire race from start to finish, but I'm going to give an alter, uh, sorry, uh, a shout out for a runner up would be uh, Charles Leclerc after you know, struggling. Well, I mean, he had a very bad uh, opening lap. Like I say, I mean, he ended up back at the, uh, the, the racing order then to finish in the points at the end. And he looked uh, very strong. So I'm going to give him a shout out to, for, for, for runner up and team of the day. Actually, I'm going to go with the uh, Mercedes. And just uh, on the fact that uh, they got it right when it came to Bottas's uh, pit stop, reacting on the fact that uh, that Perez uh, had a bad stop. And that, that's the only difference right there. Uh, Red Bull bad stop for Perez. Mercedes were all over it. And that could be one of those uh, deciding factors at the end of the year. Just like we were talking about last this time last week, that, uh, that, that second stop for Max Verstappen could be a championship uh, deciding thing. So, you know, it, it doesn't sound all that great when the team principal is calling it damage mitigation and things like that. But I, I think that these are the kind of uh, weekends that, you know, when, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And I think that's exactly what uh, Mercedes did. And it's just those that that one little tiny detail that uh, got them a double podium finish so for 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 that i'm going to give them the uh the, the team of the day nod i think i'm generally aligned with you on that assessment in, in a lot of ways one i think max as a complete package you know he topped the timesheet in a free practice one free practice two qualifying he didn't put a foot wrong all race he yeah. was cool he was tuned in i think he looked razor focused i i would have to give him driver of the day and i don't care that maybe he has the best car in the grid this week he just did everything that you could possibly have asked of him and i think as well if i look at a team mercedes you know what they they face some adversity going into this race obviously lewis qualified relatively well bottas had a three place grid penalty he managed to yeah. overcome that deficit and put that car on a podium and again it was close and he would have lost that if the race had gone on another lap but it didn't and he scored the points that he needed to score mm -hmm. to help keep this team in contention for a constructors championship so i thought that was good leclerc I, I struggle with leclerc even though i really enjoyed watching him fight his way back through the pack on the back half of that race in fact really the back half of that race was just Really good for Ferrari. And if you flash back to, to France last weekend, it was a horror show for Ferrari. Yeah. Charles Leclerc yeah. finished 16th and Carlos Sainz was 11th. And we were wondering what happened to that Ferrari pace. Today was a really great result. Charles Leclerc finished 7th. Uh, Carlos Sainz finished 6th. But for me, Max, driver of the day, I don't care that he had the best car. He was perfect all weekend. And as far as Mercedes is concerned, I, I think they did everything that they could have been asked to do. The one, the one caveat I have is, obviously, I really do take some exception to, to what Max did after concluding the race, he, he yeah. passes that stop line. And is this something we want to talk about later? Or am I okay to quickly dive into this? Well, let's just take a quick break and then we'll we'll come back because I did want to good. talk on that. Uh, talk about that. I'm glad that you uh, brought it up. So we'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Max and his naughty antics at uh, the, <laughs> the checkered <laughs> flags. Geez, I like yeah. that. And we'll do so just a moment. So don't go away, guys. We'll be back on the flip side.
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Mark and Mark here talking about the Styrian Grand Prix. And Mark, uh, you talked about it. Uh, you brought it up perfectly uh, right before the break there. Just about uh, Max, obviously a, a guy that doesn't really... I, I don't know what the the best word to describe him. I mean, he's he's not as uh, dry and uh, what, what do you want to call it? It's guarded as uh, say Kibby Raikkonen is a very emotionless. Sure, sure. But I, uh, I, I, I mean, like yeah, he's he's not like one of these guys that's going to be uh, going out there and doing uh, backflips and uh, on the podium and stuff like that. So, when, for for those of you that maybe didn't stick around to watch the end, uh, what what happened? What brought up some uh, criticism was that as Max uh, cross start finish, he pulled over close to the pit wall, right in front of where the the, the crew was up on the pit wall, up in the fencing, pumping fists and high-fiving and celebrating uh, another big win for the team. Max uh, basically brought it to a stop and then uh, laid down some rubber on the track. It was a, a dangerous thing because, uh, you know, you had uh, you had some cars obviously still racing uh, for position, crossing start finish. And it was uh, brought up uh, by the race uh, director, Michael Massey, after the, the, the race. And he did say that they're going to let it go this time with a stern warning that if uh, Max does something like that again, that there are going to be some uh, repercussions. There are going to be some uh, penalties involved. And I think this was just uh, I think it was the heat of the moment uh, just getting to Max because, I mean, he's usually pretty responsible. I mean, He's not one of these guys to do anything kind of uh, risky or silly like that. So, a little bit out of uh, out, out of character. But I think the race director did it in the in the in the proper way. This is not something that we've seen other drivers before do. Uh, usually, what we see is they they pull up close to the, the the pit wall, they wave pump fists at the at, at at the team members up on the wall there, and that that's usually what it is. I mean, back in the day, drivers would stop, they'd pick up flags. I mean, even remember one year at the British Grand Prix, what was in 1992, Ayrton Senna hanging on to the side of Nigel Mansell's car to get a, a ride back to the pits after he ran out of fuel or had a mechanical failure right at the very last lap of the, 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 the race. So, <coughs> excuse me, they have tightened things up, but I think this was handled in the correct way. What, what are your thoughts? So I, I should probably clarify and provide a little bit of context off the top. I'm all for celebration in sports. I, I think an, uh, an end zone touchdown celebration is great. I am the biggest fan of bat flips in baseball. I think I think baseballs in its unwritten rules are kind of counterintuitive and a little bit destructive in terms of engaging and enticing and embracing new viewers. But I'm totally cool with celebration. And let's yeah. be totally honest. Formula One embraces celebration if done safely. And you know what? I'm, I'm totally cool with donuts. I'm totally cool with all that kind of stuff. I love to see it. I think it's really great. I think the fans love it. But there's also a time and a place. And I think the danger, the risk in this instance is very much the location and the timing. So to your earlier point, Max had lapped pretty much the entire field minus mm. his teammate and the other Mercedes cars. That means that as he finishes the race, the rest of the cars, 16 other cars, well, I guess there was 14 left, are still competing in a Grand Prix. And he crosses that finish line, basically comes to a stop, waves to the team, does a burnout, and then proceeds. The risk in a case like that is you're performing a stunt maneuver on a racetrack during a Grand Prix. And I think the concern here is that we saw something on this track very similar in 2015 in a lower formula race that involved mm -hmm. Nicholas Latifi when somebody in that race at the end of a qualifying session did exactly the same thing, came to a full stop or a near full stop. Latifi was still battling another driver position and plowed into the back of him. Mm -hmm. Now, we've posted this footage on Twitter because it's really the uniqueness of the fact that it happened in almost the exact same situation. Yeah. The context is different because to your earlier point, 
Max was 35 seconds ahead of Lewis. He knew it. I think it's just more, if you're going to enforce safety, you've got to do it every single time. And obviously, I think from an FIA perspective, they jumped on it. They were very clear. There's no penalty points. There was no future grid penalty. There probably shouldn't have been. It was a warning. Because to your earlier point, Max is typically, when it comes to this type of things, he's not super, super showy. He's generally pretty reserved and fairly mm-hmm. mature. So I think for them, this is a one-time situation. He was caught up in the moment. He was excited. He wanted to celebrate with the mechanics that were hanging off the wall and the rest of the team. I think just from a context perspective, it is dangerous and there's a place for it. And one of the things that I did pick up on was a lot of our Twitter followers were reaching out and they were hitting me with the DMs and like, oh, F1, they're, they're coming down, they're cracking down on celebration, boo, boo, boo. No, 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 no. The FIA, Formula One, they get it. Celebration's cool. It's just about timing mm-hmm. and place. It was just the wrong timing and it was the wrong location. Yeah. And Max gets it. And I think the FIA made it clear and we move on. But I think if there was one thing that was kind of out of character for Max this weekend, it was that. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that he had an exceptional, exceptional weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Um, now there are a number of things I just uh, wanted to talk about uh, here. Uh, I don't think we really need to talk uh, so much about, uh, Lewis talking about how he felt it was impossible to keep up uh, with uh, Verstappen and what he called what was a lonely Styrian Grand Prix. I think we've kind of roundabout uh, touched on this uh, a a couple of times, but the next quote I thought was a a little bit interesting comes courtesy of the man himself, Mr. Christian Horner, team principal at uh, at Red Bull. And he says he's not really impressed with uh, Lewis's basically conspiracy theories when it comes down to where Red Bull's finding all their all, all their pace. And I was thinking about it. And what I was thinking was that it's it's been interesting for all these years with the dominance of Mercedes winning race after race, winning championship after championship. And nobody's ever really come out and sort of accused them for, you know, cheating when it came to things like flexi wings or illegal fuel maps or whatever the case might be, right? But I, I think it is kind of interesting that now the shoe is on the other foot and you see that uh, Mercedes struggling, obviously haven't won a, a race in four races. They're behind in both championships, which is basically unta- you know, uncharted territory for them in the in the past uh, in the past decade almost. And when it comes to all these things, it's you know, whatever it's brought up. They're the ones that are talking about well, you know, possible protests. You know, it, it's all these flexi wings. The the tire pressures, whatever it is. And it was interesting. And I was thinking about it too. It just, it seems, I, I don't know if, if this is maybe the correct example, but it kind of reminded me of watching like the, the FA cup or the world cup or the NBA playoffs or hockey or something like that. The favorite goes out, they lay an egg and then they're like, well, we went out there, but we had, you know, the, the, the coach just basically, draws attention from the fact that they weren't playing well. The ref made the bad call. We got screwed. You know, everything went the other team's way. I mean, this is sort of the same, but different. And it kind of seems to me that they're trying to deflect a little bit. I don't know if that's an accurate take, but I thought I would just uh, throw it out there. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on, on this are. I think this is a great conversation, and I don't think it's necessarily productive in terms of the long-term sustainability of the sport and growing the audience, but I think the FIA and Liberty and Formula One have something of a perception issue here, and Hmm. perhaps there isn't a conspiracy, and and I just want to be clear that I think sometimes things can be talked 
into the narrative. And if questions are asked and questions are answered and people continue to talk about things and the F1 media continues to print things about a certain topic, whether there's any legitimate substance or not to that subject, sometimes it gets talked into being a a real thing. And I think that's maybe what's happening here. I think the challenge is that one, it's easy to target Hamilton with these comments as Christian Wolf has done. But if you look and if you trace back the source of those Hamilton comments, typically they come from very pointed questions trying to drill into that specific thing. It's not like somebody's coming up to Lewis and saying, hey, Lewis, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on that new Migos album. And he diverts from talking about Migos and kind of spears <laughs> off into this conversation about how Red Bull are circumventing the regulations and introducing new mechanical upgrades to the power unit. That's not necessarily what's happening. People are asking very specific questions like, do you think this is happening? Do you think Red Bull is happening? Or do you think it's suspicious that they're finding more power as the season goes on? So those are the type of questions that Hamilton's getting. And he's not the type of guy that A, is going to no comment in those instances, partly because it's not in his character, but partly because he would also be fine because he's Mm -hmm. required to engage with the media when they're asking those types of questions. I think the bigger issue here is the perception piece. One is that if you go back to the beginning of the season, and you and I talked about this at length, it was Hamilton that actually surfaced the flexing wing story. That whole storyline can't, and it probably would have come out anyways. But mm-hmm. if you recall, there was a very specific race where Hamilton was following Max and saw the wing. And then, of course, everyone starts diving into the footage and it becomes a major issue. The FIA has to get involved. The other one, too, is the pit stop technical directive from last week. We don't know, but I think we all know where that came from. And we all believe that the the complaint, the concern was raised by the Mercedes team. And obviously it was because ultimately, not that it was a safety issue, but ultimately that it was a competitive advantage for Red Bull. And I think when you're Formula One teams and there's so much money on the line, sometimes you're going to push the boundaries in terms of what you can do from a technical perspective, in terms of your craft when it comes to building a race car and putting together a power unit, but also sometimes in ensuring that all of the other teams are held to the same standards, that they're on side. And I think sometimes there's a bit of this. So as much as I don't necessarily think there's a massive conspiracy here, it's not a good look for the FIA and Liberty or Mercedes when a lot of these storylines kind of get traced back to Mercedes in a way, the pit stop piece, the flexing wing, it's not a good look. And again, I don't believe there's a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. I don't believe for a single second that people are sitting at the offices of Liberty saying we need to find a way to slow down Red Bull because I <laughs> favor Mercedes or because we want a closer championship. That's not happening. And if you wanted to have those conversations, you could also dig into the fact that the new aero regulations distinctly, distinctly are unfavorable to Mercedes. You could talk about the fact that the DAS system, which was a huge performance benefit to Mercedes last year was stripped out. So I don't think there's a conspiracy. I think it's more of a perception issue. And sometimes we just talk things into being. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because if you read the larger uh, larger quote, it, it basically was pulled out of a, a press conference, which both Total Wolf and Christian Horner attended. And this topic was uh, was brought up. And I, I think basically went back to some of the, uh, the, the, the comments that Total had made. I think they were misinterpreted a, a little bit because I think that the way that he spoke it. I don't know if maybe it was uh, something that was uh, in in media that wasn't uh, necessarily an English language and there was something lost in translation. 
But I think basically what the original comment was that uh, they've managed to find performance when basically it's all locked down and they can't uh, do anything in season. And uh, I, I think it was rather... I think that's where it came from. Anyways, in this in in this um, press conference, Toto basically clarified, cleared the air, and uh, and Christian was actually cool with that. He he said that uh, he felt that the explanation that Toto gave in regards to all these different things was pretty much uh, spot on. Anyways, uh, the the exact uh, response from from Christian Horner is quote I think Toto's answered it very well, and I think maybe he should explain it to his driver. I listen with interest, and sometimes <laughs> some of the theories Lewis has are sometimes some way from reality. I think Toto has uh, actually summarized it very well. We run less drag, we run run lower wing. Pardon me, that's a bit of a mouthful. And as a result, you tend to go a bit quicker down the straight sometimes. End quote. And that's uh, of course in in, in response to uh, France uh, last week with a very uh, long Mistral straight at uh, Paul Ricard. But uh, again, it's it's easy to take these things, especially in this this clickbait world that we live in, that you can take a quote or a question right. that that's that that's thrown out there by the media. And it can be asked of a driver or a team principal or whoever. And then it's easy just to grab that one little comment and then throw it into an article or just grab that piece of video and post it online. And lacking the larger context, it uh, it, it sometimes comes out uh, meaning uh, something uh, completely different. And of course, like you said, uh, Lewis might be just being asked specifically on that, uh, that that specific topic and then he's going to answer it. So it is interesting and and it seems kind of uh, funny that, uh, that Christian would kind of... Uh, get uh, involved in that sort of a discussion but it is uh, it is interesting because when you look at it that way you uh, on the flip side like you say i mean there's some very specific technical directives that have come out like the like the das and the aero regs and these high rate cars that's uh, and aston martin being another one that have been adversely affected by the aero regs uh, this year and mercedes another one i mean they, they've recovered and pivoted a little bit better than aston martin has but it, it is a perception issue, and especially when, when you have all these new fans on board, I think they have to be. They're they're just going to do whatever they need to do, but obviously they they want to do it in a way that's unbiased, that doesn't make it look like it is favoring one team over the other in in, in whatever situation uh, it is. No, hang on a sec. You you forgot to unmute yourself. <laughs> there, okay, so there you go. Can you flag me so that listeners don't know I pulled a, a Zoom 101 mistake <laughs> if I'm working from home for the first time ever? So I think you make a really, really, really good point, which is oftentimes the comments that we see in stories are taken out of context. I have seen because oftentimes I actually, if I see a comment that seems a little bit suspect, sometimes I'll go back and I'll find the audio clip because I want to understand the context that that comment came from. <laughs> and I've seen a couple times this year where somebody, a driver has been quoted and I go back and I find that quote and it's not even a quote the drivers made. It's that they're repeating the question that was asked of them sometimes because they didn't hear it. Sometimes because they mm. didn't understand it. And then that is taken as a verbatim quote, as if that's their opinion. So <laughs> I think we need to be very careful. And you also made a great point that the way that so much of F1 media is driven, it's this clickbait media. And the other thing that I think we're beginning to understand in this new social media world is oftentimes the stories don't even get read. The only thing that gets read is the headline or the byline. And the news that people are consuming are a single Instagram post 
or a single tweet. And one of the things that I've even noticed Insta or Twitter doing recently is if you go to retweet a story, but you never actually clicked on the link itself, it actually pops up a little disclaimer saying, hey, you didn't actually read the article you're about to retweet. Do you really <laughs> want to do that? And from even me, because sometimes I'll get caught up like, that's a great story and I want our listeners yeah. to read it. And then I'm like, no, that's a great point. I should probably read the substance of the story I'm about to tell our listeners to read. So I think- more than ever, I think the the context is important. And I think the other point too, and this is important for all of our listeners, is this kind of back and forth in the media, this is nothing new to F1. This whole tit for tat, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're pushing the boundaries, this is illegal, none of this is new. But I think the main point, and I should have hit on this earlier, is I think what Christian's most sensitive to is the fact that the current engine formula is frozen. Teams cannot be bringing performance upgrades to their power units to the race. And I think where he's where he's a little bit upset and a little bit concerned is the inference potentially from Hamilton that Hamilton's suggesting that they're finding power through power unit upgrades, not through suspensions or aerodynamic changes or strategy. And I think that's where he's a little bit upset because he's acknowledging we can't change that power unit in terms of internal power unit upgrades that will help us generate more top line power. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're doing. And I think that's where that sensitivity is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a, I have an anecdote, a story I want to tell. We'll do that uh, right after we take a, a break here. We'll Sounds come back. And th- this is the, the perfect, it was the most bizarre press conference I've ever been in. I'll tell you guys that story in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back in just a moment. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. And yes, I did want to talk or give this example of how sometimes things get uh, twisted around uh, a little bit. And this wasn't uh, necessarily the way that things uh, ended up I- in the media, but I'm going to step away now from from Formula One. I'm going to go back to 2016 when uh, Canada played Mexico here in a World Cup uh, qualifier in Vancouver. It was uh, a phenomenal uh, evening. Mexico won the game handily. I think it was like 5-0 or something like that. But it was such just a, a media circus. Like, uh, I, I guess it's to be expected whenever L3 plays, especially when that it's a, it's a World Cup uh, qualifier or in any big uh, tournament. Anyways, there were all these big media outlets there. Fox Deportes, ESPN uh, Deportes. I remember at one point, um, Jorge Campos, uh, you know, former player and Mexican soccer legend, walking through there because he was doing color for one of the uh, the television feeds and his whole entourage. Anyways, it was really bizarre because after the match, uh, we were sitting down in the in, in the press gallery in one of the the the, uh, the the utility rooms or whatever you want to call it in the bowels of BC Place. And it was interesting because the Mexican coach came in and, you know, I, I've, I'm ashamed to admit that I can't remember the coach's name. I remember at the time he was a Colombian, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's that part is accurate. Anyways, his English was fantastic. He came in. He was well-spoken. He was well-mannered. He answered every question eloquently. And uh, he went to great lengths to give really detailed answers. And then the Canadian coach, who was a Spanish coach at the time, he hardly spoke any English. And it was really interesting because all the, the media going up, they were asking their questions, even the, the, the Mexican press asking in Spanish, everything was being translated into, into, into English. But everything that came back from the coach, regardless what language it was being asked in, would be translated because he responded in Spanish. And then they had this interpreter and this poor woman, I don't know where they found her. I think she was, uh, she worked for the uh, the, the CSA 
And unfortunately, she was just not really strong in Spanish. So I was sitting there with my buddy Jorge, uh, my colleague, and he's he's Mexican, so obviously fluent. And there was uh, a couple of uh, other Mexican journalists sitting there from Fox or ESPN, whoever it was. And so they would ask a, a, a question of uh, Flores, and he would respond in Spanish. She would translate into English. And all the English media are sitting and writing this down and recording this. And all the Spanish guys are just saying, no, 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 that's not what he said or not quite or you know there's just like one you know because sometimes there's words that when they get trans there, there just is no suitable translation into another language so it was just when you were talking about the way that uh, you know some of these things sometimes lack context that was the thing that kind of immediately uh, popped into my mind so completely off topic uh, well sort of on topic but uh, completely off uh, off on a different tangent but, but excuse me i just wanted to uh just wanted to share that one but uh, anyway so this one was also uh, interesting Max says that uh, he doesn't uh, believe with uh, Lewis's opinion or this uh, this posturing he's taking about uh, really sort of becoming the underdog in this uh, title fight. Sure, he like we said off the top of the show, he's 20 points uh, behind or 22 points, whatever it is now in the driver's uh, championship. But it is Lewis Hamilton. He is driving a Mercedes. He is a seven-time world champion. Yeah, things aren't really going great for him at the moment, but I don't know if I would really go uh, as far as saying that he's the underdog. What uh, what Max was saying in uh, an interview with uh, De Telegraaf, uh, a Dutch uh, news uh, paper, was uh, he was uh, being asked uh, about that if uh, Lewis uh, or he was he was basically asked uh, if uh, Lewis was the underdog going into the race, and this is what uh, Lewis himself uh, was saying. So. Bear in mind, this is being translated from Dutch into English. Anyways, uh, Max has to say, quote, dude, Lewis say we were a lot faster in the long runs on flying or Friday. That's not true. He tries to play the, the underdog a bit, uh, but you see it is very close. It has always been like uh, this uh, so far this season. You see that uh, they have uh, been better on Saturday than on or so- on Sunday than on Saturday, partly because they are good on tires. This is something that we need to work on, end quote. So, you know, it's interesting too, like especially, you know, the, the way, like you said, uh, it's a perfect example. It's like they pitched him that exact quote that, that they're the, the comment that is made by Lewis. So he's just uh, responding to that. The one thing is I haven't had a chance to go and uh, uh, hunt down the original uh, Dutch article because I'm Dutch, I'm fluent in the language, and I'd be interested to see how accurate that translation is. And the, the original quote uh, being translated from from Lewis into Dutch and then being translated back to Max and so what Max's uh, specific uh, comments are. So just kind of interesting, you know, how things get kind of thrown back and forth uh, to different people at uh, different times. I always get a real kick out of your Dutch pronunciation because it's so perfect. Uh, <laughs> I was really, I, I like I like when you lean into Dutch media. And I cannot wait till we get to Zandvoort because I can't wait for you to integrate and incorporate more of it into the show because one, I get a kick out of it too. I learn a lot because often, and I, obviously I don't know any Dutch, but when I look at a word, I, I, I have a sense of how it's supposed to be pronounced in my head. And when you actually pronounce it, it's totally different. <laughs> I, totally wrong. So I get such a kick out of that. But I think from Lewis's perspective, obviously I'm not as familiar with these specific quotes, but I think it's typically in Lewis's nature that, Hey, my tires are completely shot. They're great. Or, Hey, I'm, ha- I'm down on power. He's got more power. He tends, he tends to be very, very conservative of his assessments of what's going on around him. And, and I like that about him. I, I get it. I appreciate it. I think sometimes in business, we do very much the same thing, which is look, if we expect to have a strong quarter, 
talk about the fact that the quarter is going to be a struggle and that there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of forthcoming headwinds. You know what? You know, help bury the analysts. Don't put the analysts in a position where they can bury you. I think what Lewis does is okay. And obviously, in this case, Max is just calling him out on what he believes he's attempting to do. And I think that's totally okay. Yeah, totally. Um, next story now, uh, going from Max to Fernando Alonso. And Fernando says that Lewis Hamilton was never unbeatable. So the the quotes from uh, Fernando, who was specifically asked uh, the, because uh, Lewis has been, I wouldn't say struggling, but has not had the wins uh, to his credit as he is used to over the previous several years. He had to say, quotes, he never was, but he used to have to beat his teammate and now he has to beat another car and sometimes will be faster, sometimes slower. They are both at a very high level when the Mercedes is a little bit better on the on a weekend for Sapp and still does something out of the ordinary to be in the fight. And when the Red Bull is a bit better, Hamilton pulls something out of the hat and is still in the fight. They've both raised the level and that's interesting, end quote. So I, th- I think that's a, actually a very insightful comment from Fernando, who obviously was a teammate with uh, Lewis way back at the start of uh, his career. Lewis's, not, uh, not Fernando's. Obviously, that was... Not the greatest relationship. We all know more recently how bad it was uh, between Lewis and Nico Rosberg, but it was just as bad, if not more so, between Lewis and Fernando Alonso way back in 2007, 2008, whenever it was when, when, when they were teammates. But I think that's a great point. Lewis has never been unbeatable. I mean, he's the one thing is that, especially over the past eight years, he's had the best car. He's obviously been in the best team. And the thing that he's done to set himself up for success is that he's been incredibly consistent and he's also been the benefit of a car that's or the beneficiary of a car that's basically been i wouldn't say indestructible but has had incredibly good reliability and when you put all these things together sure it makes him look like he is not beatable or he isn't uh, or he, he's unbeatable but he always hasn't been pressed. I mean, we've, we've seen at different times that, uh, that say, 2017-18, they were being pushed and challenged by Ferrari. Ultimately, they weren't able to win a championship. Then you've had Red Bull winning races here and there. But this is the first year the challenge has come, like uh, Fernando says, from outside the team. And that's where the dynamic is different. And I think that he's uh, raised a couple of very, very good points. I tend to get my back up against the wall a little bit when I hear Fernando Alonso talk sure, about me too. Lewis yeah. in any type of critical way. And it really goes back. You, you hit on it. That if you don't know, during Lewis's rookie year, he was partnered with Alonso. And Alonso had just come off back-to-back titles with Renault. So he won the World Championship in 2005. He won the World Championship in 2006. Halfway through the 2006 season, a year in which he won the championship, it became clear that he was going to depart. He was going to join Mercedes. He went to the Mercedes team expecting to have the best car and run away with the championship. He gets put up against this rookie driver who was absolutely his equal in that car despite having no mm-hmm. one one experience. The relationship was hugely destructive. And I think if you look at a lot of the analysis of that year, ultimately, Mercedes didn't win the driver's championship, but they almost self-destructed internally. And a big part of that, I think a lot of people suspect is because Alonso became so enraged and so focused on Hamilton as a target for his venom because he went into that situation with a totally different understanding of the way it was going to play out. It didn't play Mm -hmm. out the way he thought it was going to be. And ultimately it opened up a door that Kimi Raikkonen walked through and took a championship. That, that is what it is. Now, that said, these comments aren't fundamentally wrong in a sense, which is 
Hamilton's car has just been so good since 2014 that there really was never a technical opportunity for another driver to compete with him. For somebody to compete with Hamilton, Hamilton would have had to make a flurry of mistakes, flurries (laughs) of mistakes on the track. And if Hamilton's been anything over the last eight years, it's been absolutely a definition of reliable. He rarely makes mistakes. And not to say that there hasn't been any, but relative to the rest of the field, given the fact that he's driving under this enormous amount of pressure in the most powerful car, he doesn't make mistakes. So the combination of a great car, the the combination of really reliable, consistent drives put in that position. But I actually don't disagree that there was really never an opportunity for another driver other than his teammate to compete. And obviously 14, he competed against Nico Rosberg. It came down to the final race. In 2016, he competed against uh, his teammate. It came down to the final race and he didn't win. But ultimately, I think those comments are absolutely correct. But I also like the fact that in one of his comments, he talks about the fact that ultimately, you know what, some race weekends, Lewis may have the fastest car. Some race weekends, Max may have the fastest car. But ultimately, he's not just competing against a teammate anymore. He's competing against a driver on another team, really Mm -hmm. for the first time since 2013 or since 2014. And I think some of our listeners that have maybe been around a little bit longer and were around for 2017, 2018, 2019, kind of that period of peak Vettel with the Ferrari team, they may point to that. But I think we always saw those teams tend to self-implode and collapse in the back (laughs) half of the season for a lot of internal reasons. I don't know that we're necessarily going to see this year, but I still believe there's going to be some reliability issues. And obviously, Red Bull's not going to have this string of reliability that they've seen so far this season. But yeah, for once, I actually agree with Fernando Alonso a little bit. Yeah, that's why I thought that that quote was interesting because it seemed very... Well, maybe Fernando's mellowing a little bit as he gets older, but that's why that one uh, stood out. Now, talking about uh, their former team, that's uh, Fernando's and Lewis Hamilton's, uh, uh, I was going to say Mercedes, uh, McLaren, that is. uh, Sorry, I'm getting my driver's mix up. Lando, Lando Norris, that is, says that uh, P5 no longer has what he calls the wow factor that it uh, used to do. I mean, he finished uh, P5 uh, this uh, this afternoon and a little bit uh, disappointing, obviously. I mean, he got on the podium here uh, last. Last, uh, last year uh, and he's been such a good driver I can understand I mean this is the way that that team is evolving they are I would say an outside shot for a podium I would say that that they're going to be a lock because that's just not the case but certainly they've had a taste of uh, success the way that this team is really re, re, uh, being reborn and gone the, through this uh, renaissance over the past uh, year or two. And certainly when you get to the point that you've had a taste of a podium here or there and you know that you could do it, you've done it and you finish just off of the podium. I mean, P5 is obviously not the first uh, podium or spot off of the podium, but it, it's it's close. It's tantalizing. So I think it's an interesting comment. I don't think that this is uh, Lando being ungrateful in any way. I mean, he certainly finished uh, much better than his teammate Danny Ricardo did uh, today. But it just goes to me, I think, the changing expectations of Lando Norris and the changing expectations of McLaren as this team continues to improve and as they continue to evolve in this modern format or version of themselves. Yeah, I actually have a criticism of McLaren today, and I think this might be an unpopular opinion, but obviously I think we all know that Lando qualified very well. He was in a very good position. And the sense I had was that he almost waved through 
Sergio, he almost waved through Bottas at the beginning of this race. And I think there were some questions early on. And if you're leaning into Reddit or Twitter, there was a lot of questions about whether they were having power unit issues, whether they're down on power, whether they're having tire issues, because it just seemed like they let those two cars through so quickly. Mm -hmm. And my sense was that that's not typically how Lando functions. But I, I think that McLaren's approach today was really... We're not going to have the pace on this track with this setup and power unit that Red Bull and Mercedes are going to have. And that ultimately our battle this year is with Ferrari in the constructors championship. And it's not worth us compromising those points by battling with Sergio and Valtteri and destroying mm-hmm. our tires and compromising our race. And I think the the one frustration I had this, this race was I was a little bit angry that that Lando and McLaren weren't willing to put up a little bit more of a fight against those two cars early on. It just mm-hmm. it didn't seem very sporting. And I get it that they were looking at the long-term picture. And the long-term picture is let's just try to collect as many constructors points as we can so that we finish ahead of Ferrari in the constructors championship. And they mm-hmm. were successful in doing that today, obviously. And I think they see a Ferrari team that's continuing to evolve and continuing to get better. And I think they made the decision early on that we're not going to get super racy with Sergio and we're not going to get super racy with Valtteri because that could yep. compromise points. We could have contact, our tires could degrade faster and we could ultimately choke up or hemorrhage points to the Ferrari team. So to me, just in terms of the sporting nature of the sport, I didn't like the fact that they didn't give Lando the opportunity to race against those two guys. I get it in the bigger picture. I just, I didn't like seeing that. And I know that's a little bit off topic, but it was just one of the, one of the frustrations I had with this race today. Yeah, you know, I, I would totally agree with that. And certainly from the spectacle of the sport, it's it kind of runs counter to the excitement and as as fans what we want to see. But it when you look, like you say, at the bigger picture, it makes sense because they only have a, a 12 point lead on Ferrari in the in the constructors championship at the moment. So the the, the point is, like you say, they're not going to be realistically racing um Lewis, they're not going to be racing Valtteri or Sergio or Max. Not every so week. it's not, not not every weekend. So who who knows? Maybe next weekend. Maybe if the the the, the weather turned bad, it was raining. Maybe then the things turn around, or maybe on a different track that's more uh, suited to the McLaren. That they they fancy their chances that they can run with these guys and, and push them uh, for for a podium or a, a higher points uh, position. It just wasn't on the cards uh, today, but certainly it just didn't look uh, great. That one overtake on Lando going up into turn three there and they they mentioned it uh, right on the uh, on the race broadcast it says well he left the door wide open and he's looking in his rearview mirror as uh, as the car is coming up and uh, you know passing him on uh, on the inside so yeah i i get it but i, I think at the end of the day that uh, for for mclaren they obviously just weren't feeling it uh, today it just wasn't working the, the car wasn't running the way that they wanted to so very much uh, like uh, mercedes probably a uh, damage mitigation just focus on the guys that you're racing and competing against make sure you get more points in the red cars and then let's try again uh, next week so mark before we wrap it up uh, i do have one more piece of evidence that uh, people within the f1 paddock are listening to the show and stealing our crap 
because because uh, <laughs> because uh, this is literally what it is because we did uh, coin this term i think uh, race one of the season after bahrain but anyways gunther steiner the gunther steiner team principal of Haas, you know a very well-known figure in the the, the paddock has presented nikita mazepin at his own personalized spinning top which you know children play with uh, of course anyways he's called it dubbed it the maza spin so i you know we we prob we did mention it after race one whether or not we were the first ones remains to be seen but i had to laugh a, a little bit and you know i to be quite honest i i think that despite all the criticism that Bezapit uh, has had from us and from others and deservedly so I can see the humor in this. I can see Gunther having a laugh with this, and I have to give it thumbs up. I thought I thought this was funny. I love I love that Gunther leaned into this. I love that the team leaned into it. I loved I loved Mazapan's reaction to this. The fact that he got a chuckle out of it, and you just know you know that Netflix was drooling, and they probably had a suite of forty seven <laughs> cameras in that probably. room to make sure that they captured the moment, and they can build an entire episode around that. And I know we're almost done. I have one more great update that. I want to share. Go for it. Free. This was the opening race weekend for the 2021 W Series Championship. Yep, right. It was it was a great race. Alice Powell took took pole in qualifying. Uh, she put in a phenomenal race. It was tight down to the wire, despite the fact that there was a mid race restart. She finished first. She collected 25 points. Fellow Brit Sarah Moore finished 60 or second. She collected 18 points, and the championship is underway. The one point I want to kind of reiterate, because I think this is a good juxtaposition to Formula One, where you have great drivers in oftentimes very unequal cars. In the W Series, you have great drivers in identical cars. So when you see somebody like Alice Powell, who can go in and take pole and then hold off an entire field of competitors driving the exact same cars, despite a mid-race restart, it speaks to her caliber and her talent. She won a race in 2019. It was 700 days since she last took a race victory, which was fantastic. The 2019 champion, Jamie Chadwick, a little bit more of a struggle, didn't look great in qualifying. She finished sixth, so she still picked up eight championship points, but it's great to see the W Series championship underway. And like we've talked about a couple of times now, they will be following the Formula One series as a support series. So they'll be at eight separate events this year. Uh, We'll see them again in a couple of weeks from now, but fantastic. I just wanted to make sure that we spoke to that and that I encourage everyone to tune in. The races are a little bit shorter. They're super, super accessible, but it's just really fun to see a championship running spec cars. And I'm not big on spec cars, which is why I'm not an IndyCar fan. I'm not a big IndyCar fan. I'm not a NASCAR fan fan but uh it is fun to see what open wheel racing looks like on formula one Mm -hmm. circuits when you have a bunch of very talented drivers driving identical cars yeah absolutely it really is uh cool to see you know see the difference what you know a really talented driver can do in identical uh, machinery and then it just uh, goes to prove that it is the person behind the steering wheel and not uh, always the 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 machinery obviously if you have a great car it helps but just that uh, leveling the playing field like that is uh, is really cool anyways mark that's all i've got we're going to basically copy and paste this one we're just going to like dub uh, some of the 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 parts uh, for for next week's show i'm just kidding we're going to be doing a completely uh, new one 
uh, next week. And I'm kind of hoping that we'll, we'll get some rain uh, next week. I mean, we did see... Me too. It, it's, it's kind of... I, I guess we're about two weeks earlier compared to these two races uh, last year, but it was two very, very uh, different race weekends at the Red Bull Ring. The We, we had a very wet... Sorry, a wet uh, weekend and one that was very much uh, like uh, we saw today. So uh, looking forward to it. It does seem kind of have a bit of a, a Groundhog Day effect, but still, hey, if it still means that we get close to the 23 races at the end of the season, I'm cool with it and i'm looking forward to it and can't wait but until then that's it uh, from behalf of myself and uh, mr mark hamilton thanks guys for listening thanks for watching on youtube have a great week we'll be back on thursday night and until then stay safe have a great week and we'll talk to you soon bye for now